So glad you all are here. My name is Chris Moore. I'm the family ministries pastor here at the church, and I'm glad and I'm grateful and excited to open up God's word with you this morning. Uh, as John read, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. So I'm um, going to have you turn there, and while you're doing so, I've got a, just a couple announcements to make. One is, this Sunday is the first Sunday of two Sundays that we call our Better Together Sundays. And these two Sundays, we, we place an emphasis on what it means to be part of a church family, what it means to be part of a community. And as you probably saw when you came in, we're, we're promoting all of our small groups and life groups and connection classes. And really the goal of those is to get you connected to God's word, connected to one another, connected to, to the Lord, understand who he is, his nature and his character. It's important that we are united and that we are in each other's lives as we're gonna find out in this passage today. The second thing I want to just remind you of is you probably got a text message about the LBC app. Um, if so, I'd encourage you maybe not download it right now during the sermon, but wait, wait till after church. Uh, but that app really is designed to be one-stop shop for you to find information and for you to connect with the church. Uh, so if you have any issues downloading it, we're going to have a table out in the courtyard. People can help you download and, and if you have any questions about how it works. And then lastly, this is our second Sunday of family services. And Eric talked about it a little bit last week. But it's important we, we, we do this periodically uh, during the year. We want our kids, we want our youth, our junior high and high school students to be in here in church. And we do that because we want them to see that they are part of a giant, larger community, not just youth group, not just in children's ministry. They are an important part, important piece of our church. And so... They want, we want them to see you as parents worshiping. They want to see you as parents learning how to interact. And, and this is where like natural discipleship happens right here. It starts here at church. And one thing we also do, I know for uh, families of little ones, it's kind of nerve wracking to have your kids in here because they might make noise and get squirrely. And I'm telling you, that's okay. <laughs> I remember when my kids were little and I got, I would drove, drove me crazy when they were squirrely and they wanted to lay down and I had some friends that loved me and said, Chris, they're here. Let them be. It's okay. But we have a couple things. We have a couple handouts that we have in the foyer on that kiosk for the little ones, just activities. They follow along with the passage. And then we also have what we call the family worship guide, which is something we just introduced. And what I do is I'll take whoever's preaching that Sunday, and I'll, I'll do some definitions for the kids. And then I give you kind of some, some questions to ask your, your family. Grab that, use it in the car, use it when you get home. It's just a way for you to connect what's going on here at church, at home. It's really important. So let's pray. Let's just get into our text. Father, thank you so much for your word that does not return void. Your word that gives life, as we're going to read later tonight or today. Lord, thank you that you are faithful, as John was saying, so faithful it's because of that faithfulness that we can trust you. It's the confidence that comes from knowing your nature and your character, that you are a good, amazing, almighty God. So today, Lord, I pray that it would be your words and not mine. Holy Spirit, that you would go before me and illuminate your word, not my words, but your word into their hearts, into all of our hearts. God, that we would respond and worship, that we would respond and celebrate. That we respond knowing that a great, amazing God loves us that we've been adopted into your family, Lord. 
God, thank you, and we just we give you all the praise and glory for what you're going to do. And we thank you for your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this summer, if you've been around LBC for any time, we, we're pretty busy when it comes to children and youth. Uh, it starts in June with VBS, and if you've been around VBS, it's, it's a little crazy. Uh, we have almost 500 kids on campus when you count our junior hires and had like 190 volunteers. And so you get through VBS week, all the preparation that leads up to it. When you're done with VBS, you're pretty tired. <laughs> and then two weeks later, we go to camp. And, and our church has grown, praise God. Camp has grown significantly, which also means that camp becomes more complex. And so you, can, you come out of camp and you're, you're pretty wiped out. So normally, I take vacation the week after, after camp because I'm tired. Uh, so a few months ago, uh, my wife uh, and her family, her uncle came to me and said, hey, would you be interested in coming and teaching at another camp? So my, my wife, her mother, Ruth, who passed away in 2016, and their family, they're a big part of this camp in Fraser Park. It's called Camp Arev, which means Armenian Evangelical. And for you theology nerds, it's not Armenian. They aren't a group of people that believe you can lose your salvation. They're from Armenia, so it's a, it's a nation uh, back east. Uh, so we have to have two groups. They have a, a, a few churches in L.A. and a few churches in Fresno. And so the kids, the two groups come together for camp. And so they asked me if I'd be willing to come and teach for the third through sixth grade camp. And I thought about it. And I'm like, man, I'm going to be white. I don't know. I talked to Eric. said, hey, man, what do you think? And he's like, man, I don't know. I can't tell you how you can gauge your, uh, your energy level. But he's like, I think, it, I think it'd be a good experience for you. Okay. So I did it. And one thing when we were there, uh, was that there was a tug-of-war match. They don't have a pool at their camp, so they have a mud pit. And so, which is pretty awesome to watch. So I'm sitting there, there's some bleachers, there's a little basketball court next to them, and I'm watching this thing unfold. And what I'm realizing now that I've been doing more teaching and preaching, everything is potentially a sermon illustration, right? So I'm watching this and like, hmm, this is interesting. So I realized with tug-of-war is that you've got two groups. They're, they're against each other. When I was looking at the blue team, I was kind of thinking, man, that's kind of like the church. You've got this adult all the way to the left. He's like the anchor. And I'm thinking, that's like Jesus. He's always pulling on the rope. And, that, and then that team, the rope's going to continue to move in that direction because it's Jesus and his gospel who's drawing those who may be opposed to the gospel, those who don't know him. He's drawing them to him. And the rest of the blue team, they're, they're participating with Christ, pulling on that rope of the gospel. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where we're called ministers of reconciliation, that we are participating with the Lord in sharing the gospel and being about the gospel. And then there's the other group that's opposing. And it, sometimes it feels like that as Christians, that we're in a world that's opposed to the gospel. It's always been that way. And it feels like a tug of war. And then there's a third group of people, and it's one of them's this kid in the orange shirt. He's, he's reconnaissance mission for his team. He's checking out the blue team. What are their weaknesses? How can we defeat them, right? But you've got the people on the sidelines, and those are kind of like the Christians who they're not really in. Maybe they think that they're solo. Maybe they think I can be a Christian and just be at home. Me and the Bible, that's all I need. That's church. And I'm here to tell you that's not but so you've got all these dynamics going on in tug of war. And I think that's kind of what Paul's describing. He's not thinking tug of war. 
literally, but that's kind of what I'm picturing when Paul's trying to explain this idea of contending for the faith, being united. So we realize also that what's implied in this when we get to verse 27 is that the people can be working against and, and, and not being part of pulling on the rope, that there's things that we can do that demonstrate that we are not living a life worthy of the gospel. And so he's trying to warn against that. And then when we get to Philippians chapter two, we'll read through that a little bit. We'll see kind of the action plan that he gives us for that. What we'll find in here is that Paul's telling us to be responsible citizens of heaven. Philippians 3.20, he references that we are citizens of heaven, our heavenly citizenship. We are to be responsible. Being a citizen means that we have great privileges, but we also have great responsibilities. And so for us to be a responsible citizen, one, we got to realize that we need to contend side by side for the gospel. The other thing we need to realize is that we need to be courageous. And thirdly, what we'll see in here is that we do that because we've been gifted faith and we've also been gifted suffering. And we'll wrestle with that text as we move along. But what we see first is that we are responsible citizens of heaven when we contend side by side for the gospel. And we're gonna start in verse 27 and I'll read that. And it says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that phrase, let your manner of life, what Paul's using is a Greek word that's describing citizenship. So he's saying, conduct your citizenship, live out your citizenship in a way that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in a way that you can honor the gospel, in a way that the gospel actually means something to you. That's what Paul's getting at here. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm. You think of that standing firm, it's like a soldier holding fast, immovable. There's a conviction there in one spirit and one mind. And he's meaning having one purpose, being in harmony with one another, moving in the same direction, pulling in the same direction on the rope. And we see we can only do that through the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, you are an adopted child of God. You've received the Holy Spirit and it's that Holy Spirit that empowers us to be united. And he says, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And that word striving is really contending. And in Philippi, this was a, a popular destination for Roman soldiers who would retire. Uh, it was kind of an uppity place. But when he's speaking to them, he knows that they'll understand what it means to stand side by side contending for something and not face to face. And so for, in order for us to understand the privileges of what it means to be a citizen of heaven, I want us to understand how we can fall short of that. And I think there's three ways that we do it. And we'll, we resonate with this. We fall short when we make personalities, preferences, and predictions particulars, when we make those gospel issues, when we die on a hill on those three things. If we're to look around the room, there's as many different personalities as there are people, right? God's gifted us uniquely. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we all have a purpose and we're all unique and we all have a role and function. But sometimes the personality differences can make us on edge 
Sometimes we put so much stock in the fact that we're different personality-wise that we'll make it a gospel issue. It's almost as if you've got a kid pulling on the rope and he says, man, I don't like the noises you're making. Why are you looking at me? You're weird looking. Right? I don't want to be with you pulling on this rope. But we realize that God's put everybody on the rope to pull. He's going to work through all of our personalities. And our personality differences are a gift and a blessing, not a problem. The other is our preferences. And we, we sometimes die on these hills when we say that it, my musical style is best. Or we argue over paint and carpet colors. Teaching styles, who's preaching, who's not preaching. Whether we have a choir, whether we have a band, whether we're going to be a big church or whether we're going to stay a small church. I know as our church has grown, I know there's, there's been some that man, they've wrestled with the church growing because it was so cool like being in a small, intimate group and growing together. But a healthy church grows spiritually and it grows numerically. Because we understand if it's kind of like that tug of war, Jesus is drawing people to him. People are going to come to know him. People are going to be welcomed into the family, which means the family is going to grow. And that's a blessing. When we make it about preferences, we forget that everybody else has a preference. It can't be about preferences. And then particulars are the things when we say, well, that's the way we've always done it. Or we should do it this way, or we should do it that way. And we, we get hyper-focused on the processes and the way we do things, and we start losing sight of the message and the mission of the gospel. So that the thing that God does is he puts all of these differences together, and then he encourages us and he gives us an action plan on how to live together and work together in a way that's worthy of the gospel. And we're reminded that citizenship implies privileges, and it demands responsibility. And so let's talk about privileges. We're going to go to Philippians chapter 2. I want you to catch where Paul's going with this. What he's trying to say is that you need to understand the depth of what you've received from being a child of God and being a part of a church before you really understand and you're motivated to be a responsible citizen. So it's chapter 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. In other words, if we go to 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3, Verse three particular, it says, if you, indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If you have tasted that the Lord is good and that you have received encouragement because that's the goodness of the Lord, you've received comfort from his love, participation in the spirit, affection and sympathy. The goodness of the Lord works through the hands and feet of the church. So if you have experienced that, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, And he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Be the same. So a few weeks ago, um, my family was invited to an adoption proceeding. uh, A family at our church, a family that we've known for a long time. And so we're walking into the, the juvenile court. And I had never been there before. I've never seen an adoption proceeding. So I wasn't really sure what to expect. And so we, we get into the courtroom, 
And it was amazing because all these people that came to support this family, I was just blown away by this. But I'm sitting in the chair and I'm watching the judge and they're sitting there kind of in the, at the table. And, and I couldn't help but think that this, and when we think about our relationship with Christ, when we stand before him as a, as a holy, righteous judge, it's not just an adoption proceeding, but we come into that courtroom a guilty felon. Read Romans chapter three. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's nobody who seeks after God. Romans 6, 23, when he says, the wages of sin is death. Because you are a sinner, you are deserving of punishment. And so we walk into this courtroom and imagine handcuffs on my arms and wearing an orange straight coat, whatever those things are called. My, my feet are chained up and I'm standing before this judge not even worrying about pleading not guilty. I know I'm guilty before this perfect holy judge. And that judge hits the gavel, says, I declare you justified, declare you righteous. And then he says, I've adopted you as my child. And so when I'm, I'm listening to this judge ask the questions of this couple, that's kind of what's going through my mind. But this couple, yes, they're adopting this child that they've been fostering for three years. And finally, they get to say that, give her their last name. But it's the questions that she asked this couple that really reminded me of this, this passage. And she said, the first question she asked them was, you filed the request for adoption, correct? And they said, yes. Essentially saying, nobody's strong-arming you to adopt this little girl. You're not doing this against your will, are you? No, we're doing this willingly. If we go back to Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve are standing before that same God that they enjoyed this perfect relationship with until they sinned. And God tells them what the discipline is, is for their sin. But in that conversation, he already had a plan. In Genesis three, we see, we see the snake crusher get introduced. That Jesus will come and he will Crush the head of the serpent. God already had a plan, and he had a willing plan. Nobody was strong-arming him to do this. Hebrews 12, verse 2, says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It doesn't sound like a person who went unwillingly. He went joyfully to the cross. And because of that work on the cross, those who believe in Jesus Christ have been adopted. Romans 8, 15 through 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We understand because of what Jesus has done willingly, we have now been adopted. Another question the judge asked the couple, do you understand that this little girl will have the full right of inheritance? As we just read, we, as adopted children of God, have received an inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1, in him you also, 
when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That seal can't be undone. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We receive an inheritance. We receive the Holy Spirit as the seal of that inheritance for being a child of God. Lastly, do you willingly accept these rights and obligations? And the couple says, yes. These obligations to, to support and encourage and hold on to for them to be a part of this family forever. And we see that God has given us a new family. You can read 1 Corinthians 12 and see how we fit into that family. And he's given us his word. Philippians 2.16, when Paul says, hold fast to this word of life, God has given us life through his word. So then he's saying, if you have experienced and tasted the sweetness of the Lord, if you experience this by becoming an adopted child of God, then act accordingly. Live this out. So Philippians 2, we're going to run through that really fast because he gives us kind of the, the, the formula here. So we see in verse 1 and 2 that we are to encourage one another. If we understand that we're all sinners saved by grace and need encouragement and need to be reminded, then, then we're all going to encourage each other. We are to love one another. There's a reason why throughout the New Testament we're, in, we're, we're called to love one each other because sometimes we're hard to love, right? We're still struggling with this sin disease. We're still wrestling with that, knowing that we are redeemed and we're saved, but we still wrestle with it. And it impacts each other. And sometimes we can be appalled when someone else's sin has an impact on me, but that's kind of by design. He uses all that to refine us. We are to be unselfish. We are to be humble. And then he explains what humility looks like, that Jesus demonstrated that even we can't even attain to being like God. And we are to be humble. We are to obey Christ. We see that in verse 12. Verse 13, then he tells us that it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we can't do this on our own. And then we, not to grumble or dispute, verse 14. Verse 16, hold fast to the word of life. And then verse 18, he says, be glad and rejoice with me. Be glad and grateful for the great gift of being an adopted child of God and rejoice. We are to rejoice. So we understand our the great privileges that we have for being a child of God. It motivates us to be responsible citizens. So we have to be in proximity with one another to practice this citizenship. We cannot do it on our own, by ourselves. We have to do it together. And because of Better Together in these next two Sundays, that's why we're promoting our small groups. When you see out in the courtyard, we have all of our small group leaders who are you know, they're investing time in preparation. They're opening up their homes. They're welcoming people into these groups so that they can be, we can be connected to one another and to his word and to our amazing God. Another way is serving. And one area that is in desperate need of help is our children's ministry. It's every year, every year before we go into the fall, it's always to the last minute. We don't know if we're gonna have enough people. 
But I would encourage you, if you have a desire to share the gospel with the next generation, please join us. And you can go into the kids' building in the lobby and talk to our check-in team. There's a QR code that you can scan and get involved there. Discipleship. If you are not discipling somebody, if not, somebody's not discipling you, pray for that. And when I think about discipleship, I think, I think about our journey group at our church. And last Sunday, we were in a, in a, a leader meeting for our connection classes, and, and they were just kind of mentioning that, you know, sometimes that, that stage of life, it, it's easy for you to feel as if you have no purpose. The kids have grown up and gone, and, and maybe you're wrestling with, what's my role here? But I want to tell you that your value and importance is greater than it ever has been because you have wisdom, you have experience, you have a track record of faithfulness and following Christ. And guys like me, guys like that are coming up in the next generation, my kids, they need to see that. They need to see it lived out visibly. You have a role and a very important one. I encourage you to, to, to reach out to some of those younger families and and we have a very large young married group in our church, and it's growing rapidly. Young marrieds that just got, uh, they just got married, or maybe they're starting to have kids, and they need wisdom, they need encouragement. That's another area of where you can tap in and encourage. And lastly, I encourage you to pray for those who drive you crazy. If, uh, if we get irritated with personalities, that's a reminder to pray. And you'll see how God will change your perspective on that. So we see that we are to contend side by side for the gospel. And next, for us to be a good citizens, we have to be courageous. And we don't muster courage up on our own. We can't just create it. But we realize that our courage is found in knowing God's nature and his character and his faithfulness, as John was talking about earlier. And with something to do when we understand that and we are side by side, that we can be courageous together. So verse 28, we see that we are responsible citizens when we are courageous. And Paul says, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. And that word he used for frightened, it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. And it's describing spooked horses stampeding. And I don't know if any of you have been around horses in a large group of them that are running. I don't think you want to be in front of them, right? These are horses that are spooked. They're in panic mode. And he's saying, do not be panicked in anything by your opponents. He says, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction. When they see that the church is unified, when the church is courageous, when the church is standing on the conviction, knowing that their God is almighty and all-powerful and they are an adopted child of God that nobody can take away. He says, but of your salvation and that from God. Our salvation is a gift from our God. So Wednesday night, I'm, I'm walking around campus and walked over, checked on Verge. I popped into the junior high group and was seeing what was going on. And then I walked into the high school group in the activity center. And as I'm walking in, uh, Joel, our high school director, is looking at me and he's like, oh, great, Chris, you can join us. Come on in. And they're playing dodgeball. I'm like, okay, right on. So I walk in, I'm like, hey, what team am I on? He's like, well, you're over here. And I said, well, all the high school kids are going that way, and there's a lot of them. Who's over on this side? And I look over, and there's like 10, 10 adult, you know, volunteers. And then I look back over, and this is what I see. There's like 50 or 60 kids. I'm like, we're going to get killed, guys. What are we doing? 
And so I'm standing here, and, and I kind of stayed in the back. I was a little scared. And uh, the first ball that came through, I don't know who threw it, but it was coming in hot. And I'm like, this guy's a, a pro pitcher or something. I don't want to get hit by this guy. And so we get out there, but there's something comforting about being with that group that we were all in it together. And we we're like, well, if we lose, whatever, it's cool. Um, it made me think about when we are facing opposition, that there's something about being united together. And then we find that that courage that we have as a collective is because of our great God who's with us. And I'm reminded of, I was, it was in college, I was a new Christian. I had a buddy of mine. He was, I w- I've always been kind of timid and anxious and worried. I don't like confrontation. And my buddy, he's, he's all about it. And so I'm talking through him with him, like, hey, I'm gonna have to confront this person. I'm really worried. And he looks at me and he's like, Chris, he's like, dude, they can't take your birthday away. What are you freaking out about? And what he's saying, he's like, they're not gonna kill you. You're not gonna die by doing this. And it made me think about this when we face opposition, that even if we were to die, we are with Christ. Philippians 1.21, Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we, are, and we have a conviction of the nature and character of God and we are, find comfort in the body of Christ. We can stand firm like Paul and say, I'm here, I'm on mission. And if I die, I'm face-to-face with my Lord. It's a win-win. We can't lose. So we need to be reminded that we can stand confident because we are a child of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. When we see the culture crushing in and opposing the gospel, opposing us as the church, it could be kings, it could be rulers, but there's one king greater than all of them. And I'm a child of that king. We can stand courageous knowing that our heavenly father is all powerful. Nobody can defeat him. We are comforted knowing that our God is good. We have peace knowing that he is in control. Even the things that we think aren't working out right and it's falling apart, God's using all of that for his plan. He's bigger than all of it. And we can trust him in that. And we know that Jesus has already won. Romans 8, 37 says that we are more than conquerors in him. We are victorious because he is victorious. And we can stand in confidence with that. That's where we find our courage. And we know in Revelation 20 that God is gonna make it all right. He's gonna make all things right. And that is our hope, this eternal hope. God will make it right and we will be with him forever not because of anything that we have done, because everything that Christ has done for us. And so how many of us know the character and the nature of this great God? I encourage you this week, reflect on his greatness. Meditate on the hope that you have because you identified with Christ, because you have Christ, because of what Christ has done for you. And so... We contend side by side for the gospel. That's one way we, we are responsible citizens of heaven. And then we, are, we demonstrate courage, not because of anything in us, but because of who God is. And we do this because we've been gifted faith and because we have a gift of suffering. Verse 29 and 30. 
It says, for it has been granted to you. This means a gracious gift. You didn't earn this gift. That for the sake of Christ, on Christ's behalf, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. The believers in Philippi would understand that Paul has demonstrated what it looks like to suffer. If you read Acts chapter 16, when Paul was going there to preach the gospel, he was thrown in prison. And then we find out earlier in this chapter that he's in prison writing to this church. While he's in prison, he's in prison because those who oppose the gospel are put in there. And then we find out while he's in prison, there's people that claim to be Christians who in spite of Paul are trying to one-up Paul or out of envy and rivalry, they're preaching the gospel just to try to make Paul suffer a little bit more while he's in prison. Paul's response is that, you know, as long as the gospel is being shared, I don't care. All glory be to, be to him because the gospel is being preached. But Paul understands suffering and he sees it as a gift. And I was walking on Friday morning. I, I, I like to walk in the mornings. I used to run until a couple years ago. My knee swelled up and it was kind of a re-injury from something I did in high school. And the doctor said, Chris, you probably don't want to run anymore because you got a lot of arthritis in that knee. I'm like, oh, awesome. That was kind of the way I vented. That was the way I, you know, kind of expressed and got out the angst and anything that I was working through. It was kind of a stress reliever. I was like, oh, God, what am I going to do now? So I decided, well, I'll just start walking because I still like being outside. I'd been there in the early in the morning and watching the sunrise help me collect my thoughts. Uh, sometimes I have earbuds in my ear and I'm listening to the Bible or sometimes I'm praying or sometimes I just, just want to think. But I'm walking on Friday and at this point in my sermon prep, I'm frustrated because I'm, I'm, I, I'm not tying all the pieces together. And I'm like, God, I've spent so much time on this. Why am I not getting this? I don't understand why I can't get this together. I don't, have an, I don't have an introduction. I don't have an illustration for my third point. You know, I'm wrestling with him on this. So I did the walk, and I get almost to my house, and my next-door neighbor is standing out front, and he's turning on the sprinklers. And Alfredo, it's good to see you, man. And we start talking. He's, he's a believer. Great encouragement. And I tell him, hey, I, you know, I graduated from seminary in May. And he's like, congratulations. You going to be preaching now? I said, yeah, I'm preaching Sunday. Praise God. That's awesome. Then he asked me a great question. So you're gonna preach a gospel of works or of money? And I knew it was, it was a trick question. I said, both. Just kidding. I didn't, I said that, but he, he laughed at me. He knew that wasn't what I was meaning. And then he says, Chris, he said, why would I work or pay for something that I can get for free? When we think about a relationship with our Heavenly Father, because of Jesus Christ, it's a gift. Our faith is a gift. I think we wrestle with receiving things for free because we all know that nothing comes free in this world. And that faith in our salvation wasn't free because Jesus paid that for us with his blood, with his life on that cross. He did it joyfully so that we could receive his work by faith as a free gift. And so we see this faith as a great gift and it motivates us. But we also see in this passage that Paul says that 
Essentially, if you're a Christian, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer for the gospel. Jesus Christ suffered for us. And like Jesus, we will identify with him and suffer for him for his sake. So I'm going to go back to Romans 8, 15 through 17. I'm going to read verse 17 because I stopped halfway through it for a reason. It says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. He's talking about our inheritance. He says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. When Paul was talking to these Christians in Philippi, this would have been completely foreign to them. You have Gentiles and pagans. Pagans were worshiping all the different gods and goddesses of that culture. They understood suffering being the gods were angry with them. They understood suffering as I must have done something wrong and the gods are punishing me. Paul's flipping it and saying, if you are suffering, this is a gift. Suffering means you're a Christian. I love you. I'm gonna allow you to suffer. And in your suffering, the world is gonna see that this is true, that there is life. Somehow in your suffering, I'm gonna prove to the world that I am who I am. And somehow that suffering is gonna draw an onlooking world that's opposed to the gospel too. Jesus Christ. Someday when I get in heaven, I'll ask him how that works. We don't like suffering. Paul's saying it's a gift. So the question I have for us is, if we're gonna suffer because we're Christian, are we gonna do it alone? Or are we gonna do it side by side with others in the church? So I want us to think about as we wrap this thing up, this week, reflect on the work that Jesus did on the cross and the benefits that you have received because of that. Be grateful for that. Remember that it's a gift and welcome that gift with open arms. Don't fight that gift. Think about who in your life is there for you when you suffer. And if the answer is, I don't know, or nobody, you need to be in a life group small group or connection class and get connected with people. And lastly, when I think about all of our high school students and I think about the great opportunity that you guys have on a, on a high school campus, I get a little bit jealous because I wasn't a Christian in high school. And I was the homecoming king. I was the commissioner of rallies. I had all this influence, but it meant nothing because I had nothing to offer. But you guys taking the gospel with you on your campus. So my encouragement to you is don't, don't pal up and get in this Christian huddle and then never let anybody in. See that you guys are teaming up on mission for those who don't know him and be about the gospel. Welcome them in. The same for us as adults. We have that same opportunity in our workplaces. You are taking the gospel with you wherever you go. So we think about that, we realize that the church has always been, has always had opposition. Throughout its entire 2,000-year history, the world has always opposed the message and the gospel. This is nothing new. As we see this kind of increasing in our culture, it shouldn't surprise us. Paul is saying, just be ready. He doesn't give us a 10-point plan on how to fight back. He just tells us, be a responsible citizen and he'll take care of the rest. We stay on mission 
for the gospel. And so, because we're a believer in Jesus Christ, remember you're an adopted child of God. Once a guilty convict, who then became an adopted child. That can never be taken away. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven that will never be defeated. We can stand courageous and confident in that. There's no arrogance in that. That just means we have peace and we can look at the world with sympathy and compassion and pray for them and realize that they need to hear the gospel of Jesus because they do not know what they do. So we stay on mission. So Paul encourages us to be citizens of heaven. And I pray that we would do that together as a church. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this great gift of faith because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Thank you for the gift of the church. Lord, the bride of Christ. We're all an integral part of this church family, Lord, and I thank you for being a part of that. And God, help us to see the great role and responsibility that we have as being part of the church and gratitude of who you are and what you've done for us. Father, we see that in this world that it's not a friend of Jesus, yet you call us to be a minister of the gospel. Help us to stay focused on that mission. Help us to see that we all play a role in that. Help us to be courageous in the face of opposition that we would do it side by side together. Father, may we be a church that glorifies you and represents you well because you are worthy of all glory and praise. Father, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.